Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a a Wednesday, right? My days are all thrown off. How's that for a start? A Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, Lance Reisland will join in a little bit later. He's going to look back at the Browns' win over the Ravens to discuss that a little more in depth as well. But let's get right to it as the Browns are preparing for a Saturday game with the Saints. So again, as you heard at the top, my dates are all thrown off. Uh, But I'm just going to go through some of the headlines from today and try to get into some different things there. And let's just start with, I guess what everyone is thinking about right now, the weather, Mary Kay, it's going to be cold and windy on Saturday. It is not going to be a great environment for a football game. No, it's really not. I mean, it's almost going to be dangerous. It really is going to be dangerous. And to hear guys talk about it today, I don't think they really fully grasp uh, what it's going to be like to be trying to play in a feels-like temperature of minus 10 degrees with wind gusts up to 50 miles per hour. I mean, those are dangerous conditions. You're going to have to have on those big warm coats when you're not out there on the field. And, you know, you can catch frostbite so quickly in these conditions. So it's going to be difficult. I mean, Deshaun Watson, he's going to have to have, uh, you know, some kind of a gloves on. You you just can't have your skin exposed in these kinds of temperatures and those kind of winds. I actually think that um, it's going to be a rude awakening for some of these guys if they think this is going to be actually fun football. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, Mary Kay mentioned it. We're looking at wind chills, minus 10, minus 12 degrees, huge wind gusts. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people at this game. I I mean, I was looking, there's a lot of, the secondary markets are just full of like $3 tickets, $5 tickets. I mean, I actually shouldn't say that. I'm not going to underestimate Browns fans. There could be a lot of people there just because Browns fans are are that passionate and, and that crazy about this football team. But I do think there is a real challenge presented in this. Maybe not as much. I mean, the cold is unpleasant, but the wind is going to be the real issue here. Throwing the ball, kicking the ball, whatever you need to do that puts the ball in the air, it's it's going to cause problems. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who is from Northeast Ohio or, you know, currently lives here, like, you know that that is often, I think, the worst part of the worst winter days here. Like when school gets canceled, most of the time, it's not because the snow can't be handled. It's because the cold and the wind. And it's the same thing that we're, we're going to be going into on Saturday. Like 
it's it's hard to predict given where the stadium is and given lake effect weather i think what this is all going to look like but yeah i mean the it's not only like the logistics of hey are fans going to be able to feasibly like sit out in this um it's it's how is this going to look actually on the field given the wind that is expected it said when i looked today to write a little you know short on on david njoku saying he's still gonna be shirtless i mean it says the wind gust could be up to 50 miles an hour in the afternoon and when's that game supposed to be at 1 p.m so uh that part of it is definitely gonna be gonna be interesting yeah mary Kay, the the david njoku shirtless meme i guess it's not a meme i guess because it's real life but um I don't know. If I were David Njoku, I would maybe put that away for a week. We'd all be okay with it, David. We would be, we'd forgive you if you decided to warm up with like at least a t-shirt on, on Saturday. Yeah. And I mean, again, as I mentioned before, it's dangerous. So why put yourself in sort of a dangerous situation? I don't think he should be doing that. And I also, you know, not to be like a, you know, get off of my lawn type of person, but I also think it, you know, might kind of send the wrong message to, you know, either kids or fans that that might want to try to do something like that on this particular day. I mean, I think you can do it when it's 32 degrees. I think you can do it when, you know, maybe when it's even 28 degrees. But if you're talking about minus 10 and those dangerous wind chills, it's really not the time to show that, you know, that you're the, the tough person. A little trivia, just some personal trivia here. I've I've actually had hypothermia before. Ooh, well, not like, you're not like officially like your no hidden one, talents and hidden stories <laughs> are just always amazing. No one ever, no one actually told me I had hypothermia, but after the fact, like I looked at all the symptoms and I'm like, oh yeah, I had all of these. Oh my well, goodness! What it happened? Was, how, did you, uh, how did you end up was... with hypothermia? <laughs> so. I think it was 2016, and anybody listening to this who was involved in this will remember. I think it was the 2016 Cleveland Marathon. And it was, so it was like kind of 40s when the race started, but it got colder. And this is in May, by the way. And it got colder as the, as like the morning went along. There was sleet, there was lightning, there was rain all over the course of this like three or four hours and it was an absolute disaster and i i thought i had dressed properly and i'd certainly not dressed properly and yeah i i got home and i had one of those you know they give you those little like space blankets those like foil space blankets i was all wrapped up in one of those and i definitely was not right for a good uh, probably like half day it was it was rough it was a mistake Wow, you probably should have gone to the hospital, Dan. That's, That's my dangerous. Story. That's dangerous. Prob- oh. Probably should have. Mm, probably should me, have. That but, makes me nervous you know, just hearing it. I'm, I'm still here. Yeah. Good. So, just you know, word of warning: if you're if you're going to the game, you know, make sure you uh, I, bundle up and don't be I one of those. Saying, I was saying earlier, like on TikTok, I've seen a ton of like "Get Ready with Me" videos by Bills fans. So I would say if you're going to this game. Maybe search those out because they have it down to a science. And like, I'm, I'm not joking. It requires like three pairs of pants, at least like five shirts, ski masks, winter hats. Like consider all of that if you're trying to be outside during this. Hand warmers. Hand warmers. Hand warmers. Put some hand warmers, warmers in your, yeah, yeah, put them in your boots. Do it all because this is going to be no joke. Mm. That's a, this is a new segment. 
on our podcast. Stay warm <laughs> with Cleveland.com. Stay um, warm. It yeah, it was not like a like a, Yeah, I definitely should have gone to the hospital. You should have. <laughs> it sounds like a city side story to me that they should explain for and a little video on, on how to get ready for this game if you're gonna actually gut this out and do this. No, I'm going to be worried about <laughs> all, all right. the fans. Let's, uh, I'm going to be let's like move. looking out the window, being worried about who's getting hypothermia. This is this is like Mary Kay's maternal segment. Like, follow Mary Kay's maternal <laughs> instincts. Listen to her. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's move on to uh, to something on the football field. Uh, another headline here on uh, Cleveland.com. This has to do with David and Joku as well, um, and. Mary Kay, this is from you. The headline is David Njoku believes he and Deshaun Watson can make like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So my first thought when I read that is, and and I think a lot of people's first thoughts when they read that is like, wait a minute here. Travis Kelsey's like first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe the greatest tight end ever. Patrick Mahomes, maybe the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. But I think kind of the underlying message there and the underlying point there is like Deshaun Watson is pretty talented. (laughs) And, you know, we've talked about the potential that he could be a top five quarterback at at some point in his career and and was close a couple years ago. And David Njoku is pretty talented, too. It's more about the connection, right? Like those two developing this, hey, I know where you're going to be when I need you most connection and how important that is for the Browns. Am I misreading that? No, you're not misreading that. And here's the other thing to remember. Deshaun Watson is 27 years old and Dave Njoku is only 26 years old, even though he's been here for like 10 or 11 years. So they still have time to produce at a very, very high level together. I mean, think about this. Travis Kelsey is 33 years old. He's 33 years old. I mean, if you think about it, if Deshaun Watson and David Njoku have the next five years together, they really can do some amazing things. And I think that Deshaun Watson is going to bring out the best in David Njoku. He's already started to show uh, some really uncanny ability. I mean, let's look back to the uh, to that touchdown pass against the Bucks in the back of the end zone with 32 seconds left right now. Uh, They would only have five victories, if not for David Njoku. That was an amazing catch. It was an Odell Beckham Jr.-like catch in the back of the end zone. Now, that one was from Jacoby Brissett. Um, But I certainly think that he's capable of of more spectacular touchdown catches like that. I think Deshaun Watson can put the ball where, in many cases, where only David Njoku can get it, give him an opportunity to go up against Uh, smaller DBs, catch him in some mismatches, scheme it up, draw it up so that you can get him uh, singled up against some, you know, smaller defensive backs uh, or maybe against a a safety or a linebacker that's not anywhere near as tall as David and give him a chance to go up and get that ball. So I think you're going to see more of that. And even if it's not necessarily high up in the air, uh, look at the, the touchdown catch that he does have from Deshaun Watson where he beat Jesse Bates and stiff-armed him and then dove for the pylon. I mean, it was it was an incredible touchdown catch. So I think there's more of that to come, and I think these guys are pretty young. And I think if they stick together for the next five years and, you know, they're both under contract long-term, uh, that I think you have an opportunity to see some 
pretty amazing things from these two guys together. Yeah, so Ashley, they signed David to this extension. It comes after they acquire Deshaun Watson, and they might have signed him to the extension anyway. But you do that hoping that Deshaun Watson is going to finally unlock all of this potential that we know is there with David. Yeah, and I mean, I we kind of all said from the beginning, this is obviously not a contract based on past performance. It's based on the potential for future performance. And in that way, to me, it was a, kind of like a very like NBA-minded contract. And I know I think we've talked about that before with this regime. Like sometimes things they do is very NBA, like ahead of the curve compared to what's happening across the rest of the NFL. And, and I think, again, what's so interesting about Deshaun Um, And I think it's also why he's meshed really well with Donovan Peoples-Jones early is because it seems like the way he likes to do things as a quarterback is almost like throwing ahead of guys, throwing guys open, anticipating where guys are going to be instead of throwing right to them. And it's part of the reason, part of what's made him so good. Um, And I think like Donovan, David... Um, is is pretty adept at doing those sorts of things and making those kind of plays. And maybe he hasn't had the quarterbacks in the past to to help unlock that part of the game and kind of force him to do those things. But I think Deshaun is a guy who can kind of lead him in that direction because it's it's what he likes to do as a quarterback. Okay, one more headline that, that I want to touch on here, and this is sort of an underrated one, uh, honestly, but it happened this morning and he was back on the practice field. But we will note here that Miles Garrett mispracticed today with an illness and Nick Chubb also mispracticed with a foot injury. So we kind of monitor those, especially the Chubb thing. But Ethan Posick designated to return from injured reserve. Mary Kay, I didn't think I'd be saying this back in like July or August, but this is a pretty important guy to bring back and put on this offensive line all of a sudden because he was really good and the Browns really missed him when he went on IR. Yeah, he was really good. He did a really, really nice job. Uh, that was a great acquisition by by Andrew Barry, and it really kind of saved things when Nick Harris went down with that season-ending injury. I mean, this this was the uh, the ultimate save for Ethan to step in and do what he was able to do and block for all of those yards and and hold it down. I mean, he held it down. The fact that he had started so many games, I think, was a tremendous help. He really came on strong at the end of last season and uh, in Seattle, and he he started like the final ten games or something like that. But uh, he he was really good, and it was just sort of a precursor to what he was able to do for the Browns. So who knows? He might have even been better than what Nick Harris was going to have to offer. I mean, it would have been hard to top what Ethan Postich was able to do. And, um, and you know, to lose J.C. Treader and to be able to get that caliber of play there at center, uh, that, that was pretty darn good, especially when you really needed it, when you had Jacoby Brissett stepping in, trying to hold down the fort at such an important position. So good for him. And, you know, they want to finish out strong. And I think this gives Nick Chubb an opportunity, depending on what's going on with the foot, uh, you know, to try to maybe go out there and try to grab that rushing title. I mean, he was able to get 99 yards last week uh, against a second-ranked run defense. So, you know, hopefully for him, he can keep that going and maybe make a run at that title. I think it'd be a, a great little consolation prize in a season when they're not making the playoffs. Ashley, I remember standing at training camp and Nick Harris like left or something happened to Nick Harris and, and Ethan Posick came in 
and the ball was getting snapped like high and what like it made me really nervous about the center position behind Nick Harris but here here comes posting I mean I think this offseason we might be asking the question like should Ethan Posick stay the starting center? I think he's been that good. I mean, he really has. He's put up, and I've, I've written this now multiple times, like he really sort of quietly was just going about his business. But before he got hurt, he had put together, he was like one of the best centers in the NFL. Like I'm talking like top two in the league in terms of some of these numbers. Um, so I wrote, you know, I, I looked this up all this morning when we're writing about him being designated to return. So at the time of his injury, he was second, according to PFF, um, among all centers in his offensive grade. He read out 83 from them and his run blocking grade, which obviously on this team is really important. 84.3, and he had a 67.5 pass blocking grade, um, which might sound underwhelming on the surface, but that was still top 15 for his position. Um, so again, I think he was really just sort of going about his business and was one of the most important pieces of this offense. And I think you kind of have seen what what they are susceptible to when he is gone, you know, and especially um, from the, you know, the kind of bruisers on opposing teams' defenses up front. Uh, the Browns have struggled with that, and it hasn't helped that Wyatt Teller has, you know, been dealing with a calf injury. You know, he came back from that. But I think it's obvious when you watch him play, some of the times he's getting beat, it's obvious that it's still bothering him. Um, and, and God bless him for trying to fight through it. But without him 100% healthy, and now you're on, like, your fourth center, really, uh, because you drafted a rookie, Dawson Deaton, in the seventh round. He had a season-ending knee injury. So it's like the linebacker position and the center position this year have just been riddled with injury, and it's really unfortunate for the Browns. But it kind of shows how well he was playing uh, before that knee injury. I, I mean, Mary Kay, I, I guess is it in play that Ethan Posick could end up being – he's not that – what is he? He's, he's like mid-20s, right? He's not – I'll look this up here, but – is it in play that Ethan Posick could end up kind of out of nowhere being that he's 27 years old being this team's long-term center? Well, he could be. I mean, I know they still really like Nick Harris, but I think it's going to be a situation where uh, they have to see how Nick comes back from his injury and maybe let those guys sort of, you know, show up for the offseason program and training camp and just see how it's looking. But I think uh, Ethan made a really strong case for himself, and he played really, really well. And like you said, he's still in the prime of his career from an age standpoint, and he did a really nice job. And, you know, if he can come back this week against the Saints and play the last three games uh, and, and see how he does blocking for Deshaun Watson, you know, I think he can make a case for himself. And, you know, it is unique to try to block for – Deshaun Watson because he's so mobile and you have to, you know, you have to do some things a little differently than you would for a regular classic sort of drop back passer. Um, but if he can demonstrate that he's really well suited to blocking for Deshaun, I think that will go a long way towards a starting job going forward. Yeah. And Dan, I was going to add, like to add to what Mary Kay's saying, maybe you can get Lance. Maybe you already did get Lance. I haven't heard that segment yet, obviously, since you recorded it today, talking about Ethan Posick and, and more in depth about what he's good at. But from what I've seen and from talking to Lance, I think what's so unique about him is in this like wide zone scheme, you have to have a certain level of mobility. 
And he not only has had that, like you see him getting out and pulling and making some of those big time blocks like Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio normally make, but he's just so unconventionally big for a center. He's like 6'5 or 6'6, which I think sometimes like led to some of those snap problems like you saw. And and we do have to see him play with Deshaun Watson. But I think from what we've seen from him already, it's like promising to me that he's going to be able to do that. I did actually get a chance to ask Lance about Ethan Posick because that news came down right before I hit record. So everyone's going to get to hear that coming up after (laughs) the break. So that'll do it for this segment here uh, on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. But we've got Lance Riceland coming up next. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. All right, welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We now welcome on Lance Riceland to look back on Saturday's Browns win over the Ravens. Uh, Lance, let's get right to it. Deshaun Watson, I thought that was, I thought he looked comfortable. I thought he looked like a guy that understood what he was trying to do. Uh, it wasn't as much kind of backyard football like we saw in Cincinnati. Uh, how much of that was sort of how Kevin Stefanski set him up in that game? Well, if you look at the first series, they went three and out. And I went back and watched that series, see what happened. So on the first play, he hits Felton front of swing pass. Uh, but it's just a simple curl-flat combination. He actually has DPJ open. Uh, then they go two by two, and they run a little high-low with uh, Najoku and Bryant. And Najoku, uh, Bryant's wide open. Uh, he gets a scramble. I'm not seeing everything quite clearly, but those are two examples of simple reads that he will uh, eventually get. Then they do a run-pass option where they're going to run a counter uh, and they blitz, and he has a chance to hit Cooper on a little replace route on the run-pass option, gives it on the run, they get a three and out. However, those are simple plays that kind of set him up for success. Uh, and then you move on to, like, some of the throws. You had the speed out, you had the screen, you had a third and four where they had a design run, which I thought was great. They had a simple crossing mesh route. Uh, they went some empty, which I think is going to be really good for him. It allows him to see the field and make easy, quick reads. Uh, third and one, they went a sprint pass option, which is a classic NFL route, which you're basically running an out route with number two. If you don't like it, you got to drag on the backside or you run. Um, that would be the Joe Montana pass uh, back in the day. Uh, and then just the, the bootlegs, the easy throws, the easy reads uh, to kind of get him going. Uh, he played well, and I thought the plan going in was very good. Yeah, so my first impression kind of watching it, too, I mean, there were some really great throws. You know, I'm thinking of the catch and run to Amari Cooper. There were some throws like that. But to me, it felt like he was more comfortable or more comfortable than he's been so far taking the easy stuff. Like if there was if there were easy completions there, it seemed like he felt more comfortable and kind of understood where to find them. Well, yeah, when you take those easy completions, you're going to get yourself going. You're going to get in rhythm. So those and then the. Then you take those little risks, the, you know, the levels routes they run where you maybe hit the second or a third level, but always throw something that's open. Always take what they give you. And then eventually the rest of the stuff uh, will open up. Not, to, not only that, but it'll get him into a rhythm, get him some confidence. Uh, coming up second five, second four, second eight is a lot better than second and 10, second and 12. So, uh, yeah, it got him into rhythm. Uh, they seem to be uh, kind of clicking more, uh, finding out what everybody's role is going to be. Uh, and, and it's got to be exciting moving forward for those guys. And, and just one other Deshaun point, the 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 long run that he had, I can't remember off the top of my head what the distance was, and I, I didn't write it down here, but the long run that he had to convert the first down, again, I felt like that was, it just looked more like Deshaun, like the Deshaun Watson we've seen. We've seen him run, we've seen him use his legs in these first two weeks, but for whatever reason, that run just looked like Deshaun Watson again. 
Well, I believe it was them. Uh, I text you guys. I believe they were in two man, and he got and he ran. So what what he's doing is that he's recognizing the coverage he's seeing. So if if you're getting those true dropbacks and he's seeing man coverage uh, underneath with two high safeties, that's a great time to run. Uh, you're going to have five, uh, maybe six in the box, uh, but you're going to get a light box, and everybody's turning to run. So you're going to get that opportunity to run, especially on third and long, where you're going to get two safeties over top. A lot of times, those teams like to play uh, man underneath. Uh, you're seeing him not only in the pass game, but that's a great recognition of the coverage you're seeing. Uh, they're also doing some design runs on bash and some other things that are uh, kind of getting him into rhythm, which is something we talked about last week. So yeah, I think uh, I think he's seeing things better than he has. Okay, defensively, uh, the red zone. Uh, you you have that here as, as point number two. Just red zone stops. Get into that a little bit. Well, they, you know they had the they had the stop, which I thought was really good. It was a really good hit by Jones and and, and uh, John Johnson. I yeah, I thought he overall he played a really good game, much better than uh, he's been playing in terms of tackling. Uh, but those are the big red zone stop because the red zone stop to me is a turnover. I always like to classify that as a turnover because you're you're coming away, they're down there, and you're getting they're getting no points. So I thought that was a big stop, especially with uh, Ricard getting the ball and their offensive line uh, controlling the line of scrimmage like they were. Uh, that I thought that was a big momentum change. Uh, and then you get the Ward uh, interception, which was kind of a – used to call it a fox route where they're trying to pick the outside guy with the inside receiver. So Duvernay doesn't do a really good job, and Ward does a great job of closing on Jackson. Uh, I thought that was a great play. Uh, Close made a big pick. So you have, you know, you have a potential of 14 points there. Um, that the Browns haven't really got those big momentum swings defensively. So I thought that was big. And, you know, you had then, then you had the, the the poke out by John Johnson later, which wasn't really a red zone stop, but another turnover that really, really helped them kind of uh, negate some of the, uh, the inability to stop the run, which is continuing to be a problem. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes you have to make a compromise as a defense. Like if you're just not going to be a defense that is going to shut people down, You've got to at least be able to make big plays in big moments. You've got to come up with that interception in the red zone or get that fourth down stop. When, when a team gives you an opportunity to, to stop them and get off the field, you have to take advantage of it. And I thought we saw that. It wasn't a great defensive performance, and, and we'll get into the run defense a little bit, but it wasn't a great defensive performance necessarily. But they held them to three points in part because they made big plays in big moments. Well, I think it comes to show it shows you how important turnovers are. You have to you have to get like you said you have to get big stops. So they had a fourth down stop, they got it, and to stop Ricard for less than a yard is pretty impressive. That's a big guy, but they're making big stops and they're being you know some of the fronts they're using. They had Winovich down inside a couple times, and they're trying to be creative. They're not just sitting there saying, "Hey, we're going to line up in our normal forefront and have teams run it right at us." They're trying to be creative. They're trying to create opportunities. Uh, they're trying to create one-on-ones in the pass rush. They're doing things to try to get to maximize the talent they have and kind of hide the deficiencies they have. Uh, but it really comes down to defensively, you have to you have to get turnovers, and you have to, especially when you can't stop the run, you have to take advantage of when you get a when you get a chance to stop a fourth down stop, and when you get a chance to make a big play. And those secondary guys got to continue to make big plays to help those uh, help the Browns moving forward. Saturday night was a reminder that. Tyler Huntley is not Lamar Jackson when it comes to throwing the football and the Ravens, for whatever reason, kind of just didn't run the ball maybe as much as they should, because like you mentioned earlier, that run defense, they were giving some things up and there were some big runs. And I know JK Dobbins after the game said that uh, if he would have been hundred percent, he might've taken that one run to the house. So there are still some concerns there 
as we go into these last three games with, with this run defense based on what we saw Baltimore do to it? We think about it. Dobbins, who's not 100%, and you can tell when he's breaking away, he's not 100%. He had 13 for 129. Uh, Gus the Bus had 7 for 55, and they averaged 7.1 per. That's really that's really poor run defense, and the Browns are continuing to struggle up the middle. Now, they've had some injuries with linebackers, but if the Ravens, for some reason, about the middle of third quarter, it was you know, the score was never out, uh, out of reach, they stopped running their gap schemes. And I thought they had some success with their zone, but when they were blocking down and kicking out and bringing those guys around and Ricard and things we had talked about in the preview show, uh, the Browns really struggled. And I'm not sure uh, why the Ravens went away, uh, away from it. I'm sure the Browns were uh, very happy about that. But they, for some reason, they kind of put it on Huntley. Uh, and they put it on Huntley in the straight drop back uh, more than I thought they would uh, instead of just kind of continuous to, to pound the ball right at the Browns. So those defensive tackles are continuously struggling, uh, anchoring in there at the point of attack. Yeah, it, it was a head scratcher of, of a game plan, I thought, from the Ravens. The Browns have played some teams that don't love to run the football um, and they've kind of run it again. I mean, obviously, the Chargers absolutely torched them in the run game but like Tampa doesn't love to run the football and you kind of understand why maybe they don't completely change who they are but I mean running is the Ravens bread and butter even when Lamar Jackson is a quarterback and I was very surprised to see them not lean on it more well yeah and they're in they're getting when you watch the end zone you're getting gaping holes and you're you're limiting you're not getting much run integrity gap integrity so there's gaping holes because guys are getting blown out of there on double teams and you know, the Browns, the defensive tackles don't match the linebackers in terms of size and, and scheme. So you have these, they have the undersized penetrating uh, defensive linemen who are getting moved um, with undersized linebackers who are aggressive, um, but there's just movement. And it's just kind of that bulldozing where even if they the Browns play it well, they're getting moved because they're undersized. They're not two gap guys. Those linebackers are smaller. So you just have a just have even when they play it well, they're just getting moved, and that's an issue they're really going to have to address schematically and personnel-wise moving forward. Because when you watch the line of scrimmage in a Cleveland game, the defense gets moved back primarily, especially on first and down, second down. Even when they play it well, they're just getting moved. Okay, a couple more things. Cade York uh, struggled in this game. Uh, you know, just to, again another really bad miss. Uh, that he sent in, into the stands uh, on, on a kick that you've got to be able to make in this league. Are you seeing anything with Cade York? I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, we asked this on the postgame show, what, what's your concern level with Cade York? And, and I said mine was around a, a six. And I'm not saying like, oh, the Browns need to move on from this guy or something. But the way you put it is Cade York has to figure it out. And, and that's sort of where we are right now with him. Well, yeah, so many, so many NFL games are come down to field goals, late field goals, and being able to get up by eight to nine points, uh, you know, to extend a lead. Uh, and the Browns, until they get it figured out offensively, they're not made to score, whether Watson's playing well or not, they're not made to score, outscore people. And that's not their MO. They still run the ball. They're still a Stefanski-driven scheme. So they're going to play in a lot of close games. They're not, they're not going to blow people out. Um, occasionally it happens either way, but for the most part, this is a – uh, ball control, make big plays. Watson's now going to make bigger plays, awfully, ho- hopefully moving forward for them. But this is the team that comes down to a lot of field goals, and it's going to come down to close games. And he's got to figure it out because the weather only gets worse. He's actually had really good weather. Um, when you think about it, it was cold the other night, but I mean, it was kind of windy, but there's much worse conditions. He's going to see some this Saturday, and he's got to figure, he's got to figure it out for them. 
Um, they spent a high draft pick on him. So, yeah, I think they'll be more patient uh, than they would be with others. Um, but he's having some really bad misses, and it's killing momentum, I think, for that offense, especially when they're getting these drives where they're starting to figure stuff out. Those would be very beneficial to end in points for the Browns. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, it, you know, it's worth kind of – like Phil Dawson didn't become Phil Dawson right away. It, it took some time, mm-hmm. and I, I, I seem to recall him struggling a little bit early in his career. So that's a tough place to kick, uh, but he's got to figure it out because that's where he's going to be kicking for, for a long time. Uh, one more thing, and actually this happened right as we started recording this, so I'm glad I get to ask you about this. Ethan Pochich has been designated to return from IR. Uh, we, we're we recording this early on Tuesday, so we haven't heard from Kevin Stefanski yet as we're recording this. So not sure if he's you know targeting to play Saturday or if it'll be you know next week. But what have you seen from the center position since he went out? Well, what teams are doing? A lot of teams they're they're giving they're a lot of a gap pressure. So whether the te- teams are in a, a odd front where they're covering the center, or teams are threatening that a gap with multiple linebacker blitzes, they're not. Um, Froholt has not been able to get the movement um, that Posick was in terms of their zone and gap scheme. So teams are pressuring that a gap. Uh, I think he's been pretty solid in pass protection. Uh, I would say the big the big issue is just that general movement and the Browns being a zone team and being a gap team, that a gap pressure, especially on the center, you have to get movement and you have to be able to work those double teams with the guards uh, on the zone and the gap schemes. And they just don't be they're right now. They're just not able to get that movement that they've gotten um, in the past. So I think with Posted coming back, he's a, a, a more of a obviously a center. Uh, I believe Froholt has played very hard and played, you know, as well as he can. I just think he's not a center. Uh, and you can see in terms of people getting into his chest, people getting in and getting some movement on him. Whereas early in the year when Posick was in there, they were getting pretty good movement on that nose. And, you know, and it helps in pass protection and being able to set pass protection for the offensive line. He's the quarterback of the offensive line. Um, it would, I think it would take some responsibility, possibly take some responsibility away from Watson in terms of setting the pass protection. So, I think if they got him back, it would be big. Most importantly, just to get movement up front. Okay, that is Lance Reisland. Of course, you can read all his work at cleveland.com slash Browns and follow him on Twitter. It's just at Lance Reisland, right? Correct. All right, Lance, thanks for the time. As always, thanks for having me. Hey, it's Dan. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. One more segment here, and this is the usual NFL playoff rankings. My NFL playoff committee of one. I remind you guys of the rules every week. So basically it's, I rank eight teams in each conference, the seven playoff teams and the first team out. It's, this is a college football playoff style. So these are the teams that I think are best. I have two rules that I follow. The first is I have to have one team from each division and a new rule. If a team has clinched a playoff berth, they have to be in my top seven. Not really an issue yet because all those teams are good at this point. Uh, But as we go along, if you've clinched a playoff berth, you have to be in my top seven. But I can seed teams in any order I want, so I don't have to pay attention to where I put the division winners. Okay, let's get to it. In the AFC, Buffalo, still number one, a hard-fought win over the Dolphins. It's their fifth win in a row. I still feel like this team is really beginning to trend towards the team we saw early in the year. Cincinnati remains at number two. They're on the verge of taking control of the AFC North after a comeback win against the Bucs. They were absolutely dominant in the final 30 minutes of that game. Kansas City stays at number three. They played with their food again on Sunday against the Texans. But if we're being honest, Kansas City could be anywhere 
in this one through three. I think these teams could actually be in any order. Uh, Miami is number four. They stay at number four. Uh, they're not going to get punished for losing to the Bills because, to be honest with you, they they showed me something in that game. I was really impressed with the Dolphins, even though they're on this little losing streak. So I've got them at number four, just ahead of the Chargers. The Chargers have won three of their last four. They finish at Indianapolis, home for the Rams, and at Denver. This could be an 11-6 and six football team. The playoffs should be a given, and there's a pretty good chance they're going to move ahead of the Dolphins here soon. As of now, they move from number six to number five. My new number six, a previously unranked team, Jacksonville. They've won three of four. They're within a game of Tennessee, who has lost four in a row. The Jags finish at the Jets and at Houston before they host the Titans for a potential AFC South title game. I just like Jacksonville, the way they're playing more than I like Tennessee right now. I don't know if the Jags are going to be able to catch them, though. Number seven, the New York Jets. I was just more impressed with their loss to the Lions and Baltimore's loss to the Browns. That's all this is. My first team out, Baltimore. Getting Lamar Jackson back changes their outlook. Atlanta and Pittsburgh come to Baltimore before they wrap up in Cincinnati, but everything's a struggle for this offense right now. I I think they'll be higher in these rankings when all is said and done, but we will see. Moving over to the NFC, Philadelphia, the obvious number one. Their matchup with the Cowboys this week has lost some luster, especially if Jalen Hurts doesn't play. Philly should be number one the rest of the way. Number two, San Francisco still. Who'd you pick right now if the 49ers played the Vikings? Be honest, which team would you pick to win? I'd pick the 49ers. I think most people listening would probably do the same. So that's why I I have them ahead of number three, Minnesota. Look, they've been the butt of everyone's jokes this season, but they just kind of keep finding ways to win, including weird comebacks against the Colts. At number four, it's Dallas. They drop a spot. They have a prove-it game hosting the Eagles on Saturday afternoon. And look, if we think Jacksonville is any good, like I said, I think they might be earlier. How much can we hold an overtime loss to the Jaguars against the Cowboys. I just don't want to penalize them too much for losing that game, even though it wasn't great. All right, number five, I'm doing it. The Detroit Lions. You're going to hear some teams ranked below them here. And I want you, as we're going through, to name one of these teams that you would like in this spot more than Detroit with the way that the Lions are playing right now. I promise you, you're not going to be able to. Detroit's number five. Number six, the New York Giants. That was a gutsy Sunday night win, aided by some bad officiating. Uh, It gets their head above water, but they've got Minnesota. They've got Philadelphia on their schedule. It's going to be a tough finish for the Giants. And number seven, because I have to do it, just the somebody from the NFC South, anybody. I stared at this division. I was trying to figure out, who do I rank here? Who belongs in this spot? Tampa doesn't deserve it. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll be cute and give it to Carolina. Eh, Maybe I'll be really cute and give it to Atlanta. They're starting a rookie quarterback. So this this is just a generic division winner right now because I, I don't like any of these teams. Washington is my first team out. They should be in the top seven. There's just no room for them right now. They travel to San Francisco and they host Dallas with a home game against the Browns wedged in between. So I think the race between the Commanders and the Giants is going to come down to the middle game in the sets they have left. So the Giants, once again, They've got at Minnesota and Philadelphia, and in in between, they get the Colts. Washington, they go to San Francisco, and they host Dallas, and in between, they play the Browns. If one of those teams trips up in that middle game, that could determine which of these two teams makes the playoffs and which one doesn't. 
Okay, there we go. My NFL playoff committee of one rankings. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, get subscribed. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. And you can become one of our text subscribers. Again, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And Orange or Brown Talk, make sure you're subscribed. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, you know, say nice things about us. We always like that. For Mary Kay, Ashley, and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.